You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last time, we hope. We have a very interesting guest with us this week, FCS player. I think you're going to enjoy his chat. We'll talk about some of our, well, this is kind of a Homer show. Let's get it out there. More so for me and the Chiefs. So we'll look at Chiefs needs, uh, Niners needs from, from Alex's point of view, as well as some coaches and GMs that probably need to hit on some of these draft picks because uh, just where they're at, you know, whether it's a hot seat, things happening within the organization. So we'll look at those as well, some top players and uh, anything else that's going on in the league. But uh, first, let's go ahead and bring in our guest. He's the explosive defensive back from South Dakota State, the Jackrabbits, for my money, the best nickname in college football. Uh, Started out at Southwest Minnesota State, the Mustangs as well. He's the pride of Cottage Grove, Minnesota, number six, Michael Griffin II. Michael, welcome to Pros Like Us, man. How you doing? I'm doing good, man. How are you doing? Doing all right. Doing all right. The hay is in the barn, as they say. All your prep work is done. But I want to talk about your leadership skills because it it seems to kind of come out everywhere you've been, right? Just uh, you're a natural leader, whether it's in high school, basketball, track, football, all those teams, Southwest Minnesota State. uh, Within a short time transferring to South Dakota State, you're voted captain. What does being a leader really mean to you? What's the essence of it? Uh, Being a leader to me is uh, like being an example for people. You know, there's guys who like kind of struggle figuring things out. And when you understand something, you should be able to help that person out as well. And just kind of like leading by example. I was always raised to be an example for other people, you know, to do things the right way. When people need help, they need somebody to go to. And uh, the fact that my peers see me as a leader is something that I really appreciate because I try to do things the right way. I spend a lot of my time trying to help out other people so that they can get it the same way I do. So holding yourself to that standard a little bit higher than, I guess, the average person might, it sounds like, is that added pressure? I mean, how do you deal with that? Uh, For me, pressure is kind of like a mind state. So because I like being a leader, I understand that I can't do certain things because other people will try to kind of copy the way I do it. Not saying that everything I do is perfect, of course, but sometimes people look up to you as a person and you got to make sure you're showing them that. You know, even though you are upset, you can't throw your helmet even though you really want to. And uh, sometimes guys just need a a person like that in their life. Who do you see as a leader? You're leading all these guys. But, you know, when you look for a leader, what do you look for? I look for people who are hard workers, um, people who hold themselves accountable, people who make sure that uh, they do things the right way in all aspects of their life, not just football, not just athletics, but how they are as a person. And to me, those are big leadership qualities. Okay, now we try to you know make this a little bit of an origin story. I mean, we don't want to you know dig too deep, but when and how did your football journey begin? So I always loved football. Um, I was a big sports guy. I actually started off playing basketball. Um, my stepdad was a basketball player, and so I spent a lot of time around the game of basketball. I think it was around like sixth grade. Uh, my basketball coach was one of my friend's fathers. And he was like, well, 
everybody who plays basketball also plays football. So you're like, you might as well get into the game. And I was pretty familiar with it since my dad was also a football player. So uh, really around sixth grade is when I started playing football. Michael, you were born and raised in Minnesota. How did you wind up at Southwest Minnesota State? I was kind of like a late bloomer. Um, I went to a lot of camps over my junior year summer, and uh, I originally got an offer to University of North Dakota in uh, Grand Forks. And I had just had a few unfortunate events where I was losing my scholarships or losing interest in the schools because I wouldn't commit. I didn't really know much about the process, so uh, I wasn't like, I guess, showing enough interest for them or whatever it was. And Southwest was actually the first school. It was two weeks before signing day. They were the first school that came out to talk to me. And I really felt the vibe with the coaches. They brought the whole coaching staff. And uh, a guy specifically, Brian Funley, he sat down with me and he uh, he kind of showed me a vision. I kind of aligned with what they presented to me. And that's how I ended up there. What was the vision that he presented to you? I mean, what was their selling point to you? So he showed me their film, um, like all their highlights, their season highlight. And it was, a, it was a really good video, but it got me going as a high school player because you're like, wow, I could see myself in this program. You know, they were like, yeah, you could be a star in this program. We've already had some good safeties come through here, and this could be your opportunity to be the next best safety at Southwest Minnesota. So, so you were recruited as a DB. You were recruited to play safety for them. Yes, sir. What eventually led you to transfer to South Dakota State? Um, I always felt that I could uh, play at a higher level. So, you know, I, I played two seasons there. I had some success at Southwest. But I just knew I wanted more from my college career. I knew that I wanted to play at the best level at the top with everybody else. And so uh, I decided to take a gamble on myself and then transfer to South Dakota State. Did you get a scholarship there? Did they reach out to you? I mean, what was that process like? So my best friend, actually, uh, <laughs> he spent a lot of time recruiting me there. After every game I played at Southwest, he would text me and say, well, you should be doing this at South Dakota State. When I started considering transferring, he talked to the coach and he was like, man, I got this friend who who plays at Southwest. You're familiar with him. Uh, we used to go up there for team camps and like he's interested in transferring. So he kind of planted the seed for me. But when I, I talked to the coaches after I got my papers and decided to transfer and they said, uh, I probably won't get a scholarship until after I actually play. So I'll have to walk on. And um, after my first offseason there in the summer of that year, I transferred. I actually got blessed with a scholarship during a summer camp that we were running. So I had to walk on first. So I assume the friend was playing for South Dakota State, right? Yeah, he was a running back and they had moved on the defensive end. Who is he? What's his name? His name is Tolu Ogamrinde. What was it about the place that appealed to you? What was it about South Dakota State that you felt like you could make it your home for the next couple of years? So being from the cities, it's it's kind of interesting to go out to farmland and stuff because there's really nothing in South Dakota. But the fact that um, it's like a huge community that just loves South Dakota State athletics, no matter if it's football, basketball, I've seen they were, they were on the rise. Uh, obviously, North Dakota State was dominant for a really long time. And, I mean, they still are. They just won the, the championship again. But I saw that they were a school that I could see myself playing for. It's a rising program. And somebody who can knock off the top dog, I felt that they were the best team to do it. And there was a lot of openings that I saw myself filling into the program. So um, it was really just a culture that was I kind of fell into. And I saw that they were going to be good and take down the top dog. And I always like to be the guy who comes from underneath and then swoops off the top. So that was a cool idea for me. 
Well, you guys had a pretty big season this past year. You got to the semifinals uh, where you lost, you know, eventually to Montana State there. What will you take with you from your last season? From my last season, I, I took a lot of stuff because, you know, we played two seasons back to back. And something I, I tell the young guys is to just enjoy every moment. Even though we lost in the semifinals, we did a lot of first things ever at South Dakota State, like first team to ever have college game day. First team to be NDSU back-to-back. First team to be ranked in the nation at number one. Um, first team to be an FCS team in a long time. So there was a lot of first-time things, and sometimes people get caught up in the wins and losses, but really enjoying the moment. And those are things that not everybody gets to do. So that's what I took away is just take every moment. Don't take every moment for granted. You know, you only live that life once, and it goes by so fast. What are you most proud of when you look back at your time as a Jackrabbit? Something I'm most proud of is uh, the fact that I that I showed that you can do it if you put your mind to it. So, you know, not everybody can say that they walked on to a school after being a Division II player and became a captain and a starter. That's something I'm very proud of because it's not easy. You definitely have to work hard for it. I spent a lot of time working and a lot of learning and uh, building the respect of my peers. But that's something that will stick with me forever, that I put my mind to something like it and I accomplished it. What were some of the biggest lessons that you learned from your coaches at uh, South Dakota State? My coaches taught me to trust myself. So when I transitioned, that was one of the things I noticed what the level difference was is that when you see something, you you go attack it, right? And so uh, my coaches spent a lot of time, you know, building that mentality that when you see something, go get it, go trust yourself and go make a play. So that's something that stuck with me. So, Michael, I mean, you had to say an outstanding pro day, I think, is an understatement. If you'd done these things at at, uh, the combine, I think your name would be plastered all over uh, (laughs) boards everywhere. Four, four, nine, 40, 43 and a half inch vert, 11 feet, five inches broad jump. What do you believe you showed the NFL teams that day? I showed the NFL teams that um, being a jackrabbit means nothing like the level. It's FCS and they play FBS, you know, but that doesn't mean there's not gems everywhere. I think I showed that my athleticism is at the top of the country. It doesn't matter what school I'm at. It shows that I can compete. I have the athleticism uh, to compete with anybody in the world. So, you know, we list you as a defensive back safety primarily, but given your size, I mean, six feet, 215 pounds, the speed, the obvious explosion because of the jumps. I mean, I think that the vert would have been the highest one at the combine <laughs> and the broad was was up there, too. But how do you see yourself being deployed in an NFL defense? You know, we talk about and I talk about a lot is positionless football, especially in the defensive backfield. How do you see yourself best deployed? So the way the league is going, it's a, it's a passing league, which means more DBs on the field, which means more positionless football, like you said. So I see myself as a strong safety, kind of a spin down, you know, play the neutral area, um, fill in the run, playing man, and then if needed, play over the top. So really just kind of being all over the place. Like with my athleticism, I feel like I can play anywhere on the field. And so that's how people are kind of using strong safeties in the league right now is just having them do everything. So that's how I see myself. What do you think is your biggest trait that you bring to the football field? Versatility. Just because I'm a big guy doesn't mean I can't uh, play over the top. You know, I show raw athleticism, uh, my speed. I can keep up with anybody. Um, I show that I can tackle. So my versatility really is my defining trait because, like you said, you can put me anywhere. I can play man. I can play in the box. I can play over top. And wherever I'm needed to play, I can play.
Who do you like to model your game after? Which NFL player and why? So I spent a lot of time watching people similar to me, similar positions like Malcolm Jenkins, who just retired, uh, kind of guys who spin down like I'm used to. So Jamal Adams, uh, a little bit of Derwin James, even some Tyron Matthew. And I kind of look at them because not just one player, but because I like to be versatile. So I look at guys who excel at doing everything. And a guy like Malcolm Jenkins and Derwin James, like you see, they're playing man coverage. They're over the top. They come down, they fill in the run. So that's why I watch them so I can learn, like, how do they play in the roles that I play? What would you say is the toughest part about playing safety? What do you think uh, was the toughest thing for you when, when you made the transition from Southwest Minnesota State to South Dakota State? It's really the space. You know, as a safety, you got to cover like a corner and hit like a linebacker. So you have to do it all, but in a big amount of space. You're not limited to, you know, you can use a sideline or you can kind of squeeze in the box. You really have to take advantage of all the space that you have. So as a safety, I think that's one of the most challenging things is, you know, kind of eating up the space that you got. Michael, I'm curious, what do you think is going to be the biggest learning curve for you as you make the jump to the NFL? Uh, just reading route concepts and stuff, you know, in college, like you learn route concepts and you kind of have a general understanding, but these offensive coordinators are really creative on how they use their athletes. You got guys running like 18 yard comebacks and stuff like that. So I think the adjusting to the creativity on the route running. So it seems like there's some a movement happening in the Dakotas, right? Ton of talent up there, becoming a must stop for NFL scouts, GMs, front office people. I mean, it's up there. I mean, Carson Wentz kind of, I think, was one of the first ones on the national scene. But it seems like every year after that, there's more and more guys that are in the mix for the NFL draft. I want you to give me like a best description of a couple of your teammates. I don't want to leave anybody out. Pierre Strong Jr. Yeah, Pierre Strong, he's a guy from Arkansas. Really explosive running back. You know, when we started, we came in. I came in when he was a freshman. And uh, you just see the hard work that he puts in. A common theme for everybody at South Dakota and in the Dakotas in general is just hardworking guys. They always put in the work. They're like a blue-collar, hardworking men. And you see Pierre specifically, like the way he uh, leveled himself up recently in the draft and what he did at the NFL Combine, it just is a testament like his hard work that he put in. Another name I came across, and again, you correct me if I'm wrong, but Don Gardner, cornerback, he yes, did some good things at the, at the pro day and had a good season. Yes, sir. Don was one of my roommates, uh, one of my really good friends. He put a lot of work in on special teams. He had to battle a lot of injuries. Like I said, the common theme is hard work. He dedicated himself to special teams, and that's how he got on the field eventually. Uh, he waited his turn. He paid his dues, and it, it, really, uh, it really helped him out now because – now he feels like he can do everything. He's not just a, a corner, but he can show his value on special teams and as an athlete. Okay, same question, but this time an opponent. A lot of uh, good press coming from Christian Watson, wide receiver from North Dakota State. Uh, right. Some people have him as high as the bottom of the first round, certainly the second round. Uh, what do you remember about playing against him? I just remember him being very explosive. Like As you see, he's, he's really fast. They call him the Tampa Torpedo. Um, he shows really good athleticism. He's extremely fast. And NDSU, they're kind of a more run-heavy run team, but you see that he's still able to succeed in that run-heavy offense. So it's a testament to him um, how athletic and how valuable he was for that team. 
So, Michael, your dad's a Minneapolis police officer, has yes. been for, for many years. And one of the, the biggest stories you know, during the COVID piece of things a couple of years back was uh, George Floyd getting killed in front of everybody's eyes. From his unique perspective, and not to put words in his mouth, but I'm sure you know he shared this with you, what was his take on that whole thing? Um, I think it's just uh, it's tough as a police officer because you see like the way he works in he works in Minneapolis, so people kind of group police all into the same, you know, category as, uh, you know, it, it's tough being a police officer these days because people are afraid that you're going to have those kind of encounters, and not everybody is like that. It's an unfortunate situation, but I remember speaking to him. We we try not to talk too much about it, but um, I remember he one thing about him is he's like it's all about you know, the opportunity, right? So you see that the situation is going wrong. You have to recalculate yourself and adjust the situation, kind of take back and, and look at what you're doing in the heat of the moment. And it's just uh, something he always taught me was to, you know, breathe through tough situations and stay calm. It's unfortunate how the situation got handled, but that's kind of how we talked about it, like uh, just breathing through tough situations and, and making sure you're clear-minded in the heat of the moment. So once again, when that happened, you assumed a leadership role there on campus. What were you feeling? And then what was the action that you took? There were a lot of emotions at the time. Um, obviously, there's not too many people of color in South Dakota. But um, the fact that my teammates in, in athletics in general were all from different places and we all have to work together. I kind of saw an opportunity and I was presented by my athletic director there, Justin Sell, to kind of take over the role as an educational purpose. So as a team, when everything was going on during COVID and the George Floyd stuff, we kind of talked as a team, like, what do we need to do so that everybody's in understanding? And I kind of I kind of spoke and I was like, well, we're all from different places, but we don't have these type of issues on our team. So we're a perfect example of diversity. What better than for us to teach everybody else, since there's so many of us and so many different personalities, kind of educate people on how we do it, but we spend a lot of time getting to know each other. We started a program, diversity and inclusion in our school. And so in every athletic program, uh, women's and men's, uh, they have to sit down and talk to each other and kind of just bring up issues. You know, the best way to understand is to, to tell people, right? So if they don't know, if they didn't tell you, you wouldn't know their background and how they grew up. And so we all spend, I think about, we do it on Mondays. I'm not sure how the other programs do it, but they spend time uh, in groups and they sit there and everybody tells their background and they all talk about how they grew up and like how they deal with diversity and how they've talked about um, different ethnicities and all that kind of stuff. So it was something that's very positive for the school because I think a lot of people can benefit from understanding their teammates and people around them. Well, I'm sure it was very much appreciated uh, there at South Dakota State. Michael, but again, from a national level, as people you know hear this story, all your leadership skills, I, I think they just can't you know help but be proud of you know a young man such as yourself. So I think that's going to do it for our chat. We really appreciate you coming on, being forthright with your answers. The pro day again just kind of blew me away. I'm sure you felt pretty good about it too. But uh, here's your opportunity. If you want to shout out your uh, social media handles, if you want to plug something, whatever, here's your opportunity. Go for it. Yeah, my social media handle on Twitter is m underscore Griffin Jr. Uh, my Instagram handle is Michael underscore Griffin eight. Um, I'd like to shout out my trainers uh, at Training House. They did a really good job getting me ready for my pro day. And uh, my position trainer, 
Eric Harrison with Showtime Performance is always getting me ready with my footwork and stuff. And all my teammates and all my coaches at South Dakota State. All right, Michael, again, uh, we wish you the best of luck. Uh, looks like you're in a good position. So uh, hopefully we'll talk to you down the road when you're playing in the NFL. Yeah, I appreciate you guys. Thank you. Thanks again to Michael Griffin II, South Dakota State, defensive back, safety, chess piece, whatever you want to call him. I'll be interested to see where he goes. I think he's going to have a real opportunity wherever he lands just because of his versatility. Alex, uh, you know, as far as his draft chances, where do you think he fits? Well, I mean, he definitely aced the pro day uh, like we talked about during the interview. Um, That was huge for him because... For small school guys, I mean, teams look at those numbers. He just hit the home run out of the park with the vertical jump and the 40 time. And now, you know, he's on the radar for some teams. He is going to be an unrestricted free agent, but he just needs to go to the right spot. Like he mentioned during the interview, he's willing to contribute on special teams. You know, he's had an uphill battle all of his life where he's been. You know, a guy went to southwest Minnesota State. Then he transferred to South Dakota State and was a walk-on. This kid has been through a lot, and I think he can overcome it. And teams are looking for players like this that can contribute in in a number of different ways. All right, well, let's get into it. Uh, San Francisco championship game, you know, and they lost. And uh, I guess quite coincidentally, the Chiefs got to the championship game and they lost. So there is something in common between these two teams as well as being my Super Bowl pick for last year. That didn't work out so well. So San Francisco, and I'm looking at these team needs, and it seems, and again, I mean, most teams, very similar. Corner, edge rusher, offensive line, even wide receiver. All this smoke coming out about the Debo situation, and you know he wants to get paid. The market is really going nuts at this point. They only have... Now, I didn't list all their picks, but their first pick is 61. They've got 93, 105, 134, so a little further along in the draft. Does it make sense to move Debo at this point? What do you think? It's hard to let go of a player like this that has become like the centerpiece of this team offensively. I mean, he has become like the X factor, a chess piece. I just think that it will be very difficult to move off of him, but... If the contract talks aren't going anywhere, John Lynch and that crew isn't going to hesitate and move him on draft day, especially when they know they can get multiple picks for him. Maybe they can get like a a late first round pick for him. Remember, they drafted him in the second round. If they can get a late first or maybe like a second or a third, I think they'll take it. It's a no-win situation, but I think if they move Debo, obviously the 49ers need that wide receiver becomes crucial. And I don't think it's a team that will spend a high pick on a wide receiver, but I think they'll definitely spend a, a pick on a wide receiver on day two. And you mentioned that they have a couple of picks, you know, in the third round, and then they have one in the second round. So that becomes a huge, huge priority. But as far as what they need, if they don't move off of Debo, it has to be offensive line, and specifically it has to be guard. Because they've got the two tackles, all right? They got McGlinchey, and they got Williams, Trent Williams. Lakin Tomlinson has moved on. He left in free agency. We have huge holes 
at offensive guard at both spots as far as I'm concerned. I also think the defensive line. I mean, you mentioned edge player, and that's going to be high priority for the team, especially opposite of Nick Bosa. You don't know what's going to happen with D Ford there, and I mean, how much can you count on him? I also say defensive tackle, just because DJ Jones, he left uh, for the Broncos. Javon Kinlaw, so far, has been a huge disappointment. I realize that he's a former first-round pick who's going to step in. They're going to give him the first crack. But John Lynch and the 49ers, what they have proven over time, they're willing to take multiple guys high and spend first-round picks on the D-line. So I wouldn't be surprised if they go like edge, defensive tackle, and then possibly you know offensive guard and then wide receiver uh, with their first four picks. I guess the the whole Debo thing, and just in, in, in a general sense, what, I, what I'm seeing, because I, obviously I was working on the Chiefs' needs, and they're going to be looking at wide receiver pretty closely. But just in general, the way the market's going and what these veteran you know, top-end receivers are getting between 25 and $30 million a year, and the market's just going to continue to go up, as we see quarterbacks being pushed up, for this, a lot of the same reason, I think you're going to see wide receivers start to be pushed up in the first round because the fifth-year option, because it's a lot cheaper for the younger guy than to you know pay Tyree Kill, to pay Debo Samuel upwards of twenty-five to thirty million dollars, and San Francisco's sitting there with Jimmy G on the books with for like twenty-five million. It's going to be really hard to trade him until teams feel comfortable with the shoulder. Now it should, but you know, San Francisco's not in a real good position of strength here to say, okay, we'll demand a second round pick for Jimmy or a third or first and a third or whatever. Yeah, corner, you know, they signed Ward. Uh, Mosley, I think, is in a contract year coming up. So, I mean, I think, yeah, you're on the right track there. Obviously, a lot of front offices build the same way. You want to build from the trenches, build from the front to the back, defensive line, offensive line. That's what's going to win games. It's got them this far, and hopefully Trey Lance can kind of pick up the baton and run with it. Yeah, let's see. Maybe Debo picks, you know, they, they pick up some additional capital that they used in the Lance trade saves them a bunch of cash and now they can go after some of these you know these younger wide receivers but uh yeah i'm looking at the chiefs a lot of the same thing i mean wide receiver edge for sure they really don't have any outside rushers on the team as it stands right now which is kind of scary they restructured frank clark but again i mean he was kind of beat up last year i don't know where the motor was was he in shape legal problems so I don't know that you can really count on much from Frank Clark so now other than Chris Jones in the middle you really don't have much of a pass rush so yeah you lost Tyree Kill you need wide receiver but you know is there going to be an edge player worthy enough at those picks that they have they pick 28 and 29 uh they've got two second rounders 50 and 62 two in the third round Two in the fourth round, so there's a lot of capital here. My thinking is if they can do it, they're going to try to package some of these picks and try to move up to target either one of the best edge rushers or one of the receivers. Edge rushers, I don't know. They're not going to have a shot at Hutchinson or 
Thibodeau or Trayvon Walker, maybe a George Karloftis. Is he really worth a trade up? Jermaine Johnson, maybe, you know, if you if you get up into the early teens, but even he might go in the top 10. Again, it's really going to be dependent on how the draft falls. Uh, I think wide receivers is going to be a little bit deeper. You know, is Jamison Williams going to be available? Is Garrett Wilson going to be available? Is it really worth it outside of those two, Chris Olave perhaps, to really give up a lot of capital to go get? That's a big question. And corner, you know, I talked about Charvarius Ward going to San Francisco. They need another starting corner. A lot of questions here. They got a lot of capital. So this is an intriguing draft for Veach. I know you've got your questions, if you would, about Brett and all the uh, recognition that he gets. So let's. it's time to put up or shut up. He's got to do it this draft. This is huge for the Chiefs. Well, he had a good draft last year. And I think he did. With all the picks that he has, and you mentioned that he has multiple picks in each of the first four rounds, that's huge. I think there's going to be a lot of moving and dealing because I don't think the Chiefs are going to stay put with those two first-round picks at the end. I think they'll use one of them and use one of the second-round picks in order to move up a little bit further. And you're right. I think all the edge players that you mentioned, the big edge players, they're going to be gone. So maybe it's Jermaine Johnson. I mean, that's a possibility. I don't think Veach is going to trade up for a wide receiver. I think you can get a wide receiver on day two. And I think that's going to be smart. In my opinion, I mean, that's the smart play in that regard. Do you think the Chiefs just maybe trade up for the best player available? Not necessarily like targeting a certain guy, not a certain position. A guy that they love, maybe a guy that's dropping in the first round to like, you know, between like 15 and 20 absolutely corner is a possibility Lou because oh yeah no question yeah to their guys and who they have there I think you know you can't count on like a guy like DeAndre Baker you can always upgrade there you need to find in my opinion a starting corner for the Chiefs just like the the wide receiver and the edge in my opinion absolutely any one of those three positions to trade up to get you know, maybe not an elite player, but one of the better players in this draft. I don't know if there's enough elite player or they can get up high enough or they'd be willing to give up that much capital to get one of these elite players as far as in this draft. I don't know, depending on how they have it graded. I mean, I just, you know, I listen to guys like you. I listen to guys like, you know, on NFL Network, on ESPN and try to kind of get a sense as to who the best players are and I don't know that to go from 28 to in the top 10 they would probably have to give up most of those picks right that's what these teams would be asking and I don't know if they're really that desperate or they're one player away right I mean they've got other needs but yeah I would go in any one of those directions wide receiver edge corner if they can get one of the best ones that's available then sure you do it uh weighing of course the fact of making that deal and what it's going to take to get up there because you know as good as Legereus Sneed is I think he might be a little bit better playing inside than he is outside but he's pretty good outside uh, they've got Rashad Fenton. So again, you just and they haven't spent much in terms of the corner position in the draft. I think Sneed was like third or fourth round pick 
Rashad Fenton was South Carolina. I think he was like a fourth or fifth round pick. Every year it looks like they need a corner and they just kind of try to like piecemeal it together. They haven't really spent a lot of capital. So again, this is going to be interesting from that perspective because they typically don't do that. I guess if they could get the receiver, if they think Jamison Williams is not comparable to Tyree Kill, nobody is comparable to Tyree. He's just a unique body type and everything that he can do. But Jamison Williams, I think, is a good enough route runner and has the speed to kind of be almost like Andy Reid's Deshaun Jackson from Philadelphia, where they plugged in the bigger guys with Juju and MVS. And maybe now they, okay, let's get one just burner to kind of put this together because uh, McCole Hardman is in a contract year and who knows what happens with him moving forward. Well, it just depends who drops as far as wide receivers are concerned. I think in like round two, there's a possibility to get like a guy like George Pickens from Georgia. He made plays when he was out on the football field and Maybe there's Sky a guy Moore. like Sky Moore from Western right. Michigan. I mean, that's a possibility. I like Pickens because his dad used to play in the NFL, Carl Pickens. He was with the Bengals. And I just think that there's always something to these players when they have the, the bloodlines. Even though he hasn't completely lived up to the hype. Uh, still, Georgia was a running offense. And he wasn't featured quite as much as those Alabama wide receivers I think Pickens would be a fine pick there on day two for the Chiefs. He's a big dude, right? And he's fast, so he's got a he's got a lot of the physical characteristics. I think he can certainly play. It's just like you said. I mean, injuries and inconsistency, you know, throughout his time at Georgia. Yeah, you know, a lot of intriguing possibilities at wide receiver. I wanted to ask you about a few of these guys. You know, some names that have come up. I mean, obviously, we interviewed Alec Pierce, and I think your opinion was that he may be overdrafted. He might be more of a third or fourth round guy. But a couple of guys, you know, coming off an injury, Mechie from Alabama, where do you see him? David Bell from Purdue. These are guys that I think could be in that second round range. Uh, A name that keeps coming up, and again, I think as a freshman, you'd think this guy was going to be all world, but Justin Ross from Clemson, again, injuries and so forth, inconsistency at quarterback his last year or two at Clemson. Those are three guys that I thought I'd try to get your opinion on. Well, let's start with Justin Ross. I'm always afraid of guys that have past injury concerns, like durability concerns, serious durability concerns, because they were huge question marks whether he would just return and play football at all. There were some question marks with his neck. That's a huge red flag for me, but I'll leave that to teams that obviously put him through those medical tests at the scouting combine. But I think there might be a few teams that just don't feel comfortable drafting him at all that high, like on day two. As far as David Bell, I mean, he bombed the scouting combine. He didn't run well at all. But that's not his game. He's a possession receiver who catches the ball well in the short, intermediate routes. He's not a speedy guy. He's got very good hands. He wins those 50-50 balls. I'm not sure after what he did at the Combine that he's going to go in round two. I think he's more of a round three guy, but it's going to be a concern for teams that like speed. And Chiefs do like speed at the wide receiver position. So I think David Bell is one of those guys that they're going to cross off of their list. Mechie, I mean, is a guy that I liked a lot 
Like, he was just Mr. Steady. Like, he made a lot of plays. He's not flashy, all right? He's not like the the past Alabama wide receivers. He's not Jamison Williams. He's not Jalen Waddle. He's not Devontae Smith. But there's something to be said for a guy that just moves the chains, you know, a guy that can make plays on third downs, guy that, that can get open. He also had injury concerns in college, but feel a little bit more comfortable about him. But as far as like, if we're looking at the three guys that you mentioned, I would feel most comfortable with David Bell, not as a number one wide receiver. I think he's more of a number two, number three, again, not twitchy, doesn't have that speed, but that's not what his game entailed when you watch his tape. Again, he's a possession receiver who makes plays over the middle. And in my opinion, that's what the Chiefs need. But I know they won't draft him but that because that's not Veach's type of wide receiver. Well, I think that I guess their thinking was that's what Juju Schuster is going to be for, along with Kelsey, of course. That's kind of his, his part of the field. And Juju is more of a slot receiver. David Bell is not a slot receiver. He's an outside receiver. Right. They would be more inclined, like you said, to be more of a speed guy. Uh, you know, we talked about Pickens and so forth. The only guys I could see them, you know, trading up for would be, like I said, Williams, Wilson, Olave. Maybe not quite as high a jump, but Dotson from Penn State. Again, another kind of smooth route runner catches everything. I mean, he's not a big dude, but my God, it just seems like he's got a catch radius for a guy that's like 6'4". Those would be the guys I think they would trade up for. If they sit there and just kind of let the draft come to them, which again, I don't believe that for a second, unless they're just, they just can't find a trade partner, then that's where the names, we say Pickens, Moore, maybe a Christian Watson comes into play. Oh, stay but away some, from him, Lou. Stay away yeah, from him. I mean, he's raw, he's raw, you know, it's, he's not going to be a guy that's going to come in and start right away, but he's got all, this, all the tools to become a, a pretty good receiver. That's a, a dangerous of... word. That's a dangerous <laughs> word. He's got all the tools. There's another huge red flag for me. When there's a small school guy, I want him to stand out. I want him to dominate the competition at his level. And Christian Watson never did that. Never. Not in all of his years. Not even as a, as a junior or a senior. Not, I'm not talking about freshman or sophomore year. I mean, he made like maybe one catch or something like that. Maybe it was exciting because he can stretch the field. It was for 40 or 50 yards. But when you don't dominate the small school competition at the FCS level and you just put in this these sexy numbers at the combine that you're an athlete, I mean, that scares me even more than Alec Pierce. It's a huge red flag. And I can't imagine like studying Christian Watson I can't imagine anybody in their right mind drafting him in the first round. I'm telling you. My theory, well, not my theory, but I think a theory is going to be that some of these guys that teams are looking for at the top of the second might get pushed up into the first, again, because of the money. Again, you got to be careful when you do that, of course. I think it could happen. I would much rather take George Pickens at the end of the first round because I think there's bigger chance that he becomes a star than Christian Watson because Watson is going to be out of the league in three years. I'm and not whoever, pushing for Watson. It's just that he's... Draft, <laughs> if Beach drafts him, he should just sign those papers of resignation like the next day. <laughs> I'm telling you. 
just to say couple a couple other names to look for maybe second third round calvin austin the third from memphis he's got some good run there uh smaller dude wandale robinson from kentucky he might get a little bit of action jalen tolbert from south alabama one that keeps coming up, and I've seen him on, on some named come up on, on some visits, is Eric Ezukana from Texas Tech. I don't know much about him, but I keep seeing his name. He's got good size, good speed. I don't know if he had a ton of production at Texas Tech, but again, I keep seeing this name. He produced in the Big 12. I mean, from those games that I saw and studied him on, I thought he was a player that, that's underrated. I'm not sure he's a... He's a day two material type of guy, but I think he's going to go somewhere in the fourth round. But the guy I li- really like, you mentioned him, Calvin Austin, because Calvin Austin is a speedster. He's got fluid hips, very loose hips. He can just get open, create separation. It's not only about speed. He's going to be a very effective slot receiver, and he can also help you on special teams as a returner, as a punt returner, as a kick returner. So this guy gives you added value. I realize that he's not the biggest guy, but that's not a problem for me. Like I've seen guys like this get drafted in round three. I think he's going to be a huge, valuable weapon for some team that drafts him there. There's plenty of wide receivers out there. There'll be a lot of value throughout the draft and probably beyond it. Uh, it just seems like that's a position that has been coming on over the years as the offenses keep changing in the college ranks, more and more team running more spread pro-style type offenses. Uh, These kids are getting a lot more action. And as you see the money go up, they're going to attract more great athletes to that position. So, hey, I think it's it's here to stay. And you're going to see teams starting to judge, hey, do we want to pay Debo $28 million a year? Or do we trade him, get a bunch of capital, and fill in some other needs and maybe get a younger guy that can hopefully come close to what he was able to do? I just want to throw some corner names at you. We've looked at all these different positions, but real quick, uh, I think, you know, Sauce, Gardner, Derek Stingley, Andrew Booth, these are guys that I would say Sauce and Derek Stingley have a, a real good chance of going in the top 15. I think Sauce is going to go in the top five, actually. I think the Jets will probably grab him at number four. But Stingley's another one that, again, I mean, had that great freshman year and so forth. But, you know, really hasn't produced, had a great pro day. So, you know, maybe the potential. Somebody's going to take a shot at him, I think, in the top 15. Andrew Booth from Clemson. You got the two kids from Washington. McCreary from Auburn. I mean, other than Sauce Gardner, anybody worth trading up for? No, I think a position like corner, Lou, is really tough to judge when you've got these guys playing in college. They really don't get challenged the way they they do in the NFL. Cornerback is a really tough position to evaluate. It's such a huge jump from college to the NFL. I wouldn't feel comfortable trading up for a corner, especially if we're talking about like a first-round guy. Because this guy can wow you athletically. I mean, with his speed, with his you know explosion as far as his broad jump, his vertical jump, and then... Stingley, you know, you look at his freshman tape and you're like, man, this guy looks like a a top three pick. He looks like Dion all over again, or he's going to be like as good as Daryl Rivas and he's taller. But then, you know, the last two years, he's just completely disappeared off the map. And now he 
found himself back up with his great testing numbers. I always say that I wouldn't trade up for a corner unless it was like Dion, unless it was prime time. But I mean, other than that, I just I stay away from that position. I think the Chiefs have it right here, by the way, Lou, drafting these guys somewhere in the middle rounds and developing them because so many times we see first round corners and a lot of the times they're just they're busts. They were very fortunate with Legereus Sneed, so eh, maybe they go that route again. All right, so let's look at some teams that I guess really need to ace the draft. Somebody's on the hot seat, whatever. I came up with three. I mean, the most obvious one to me is Carolina because, you know, they made the big move to trade for Sam Darnold, pick up his fifth-year option. They've been in on every quarterback since, it seems like whether it was Stafford, uh, Russell Wilson, obviously Deshaun Watson, and none of that worked out. The owner has got to be getting impatient. Rule seems like he was this can't-miss candidate, and now I don't know, it's not looking that great. But they're sitting there at six. Then they don't pick again till the fourth round because of these other trades that they made. Quarterback, offensive line, edge. You know, Basically, it's the same refrain with all these teams. How do they do this? You know, I would think unless they're in love with one of those quarterbacks, it probably would behoove them to trade back. But obviously, you got to have a partner to do that. And because they need multiple things. Do they take a big swing at quarterback at number six? Is it Pickett because of all the the Pitt connection, the uh, former Temple connection with Rule? Uh, Is it Malik Willis just because he has the most upside? That's a shaky one for the sixth overall pick if you're just betting on one of those two guys, I think. The Panthers need a quarterback, but I agree with you that it will be very risky to take any of the quarterbacks with that sixth overall pick. So if they want to take a quarterback, I think they should trade back. Because when I was looking at the Panthers, they have the sixth overall pick, but the next time they draft is in the fourth round. 137, yeah. They don't have any second, any third round picks. So they would be wise to kind of drop back and take the best available guy. Maybe it's quarterback, but they need to stockpile picks. When you look at the Panthers, I mean... Are you saying to yourself that they're just a quarterback away? Because I don't. If they stay at sixth, I think they should take the best offensive lineman available. They should just protect Sam Darnold. Take a tackle. Then protect your your guy. And maybe, you know, you'll take a chance on some guy. Maybe like Bailey Zappi in the fourth round to kind of compete with Sam Darnold if Zappi's still available. So... Taking a quarterback sixth overall is going to be extremely risky. I wouldn't advise for them to do this. And I don't think Rule and, you know, the the front office would be willing to do it. But don't you think Tepper is going to be in the room pushing for one of those quarterbacks? I'm sure he is. And like I said, I mean, he's a pit guy. I don't know if that's going to, going to factor into it. Or maybe he's just so intrigued with the athleticism of a Malik Willis and said, we can't pass on this guy. At the end of the day, the coaches and the front office have to deal with it. I don't know. I mean, is he more of a Jerry Jones or is he or not? I would tend to think he's closer to Jerry Jones than he is just a, an owner that kind of lets guy, you know, lets the football people run things. So this is rough, you know, especially for that staff because, like you said, I mean, it's not like a can't miss. 
And I don't know if there is such a thing, even if you do, even if you got Trevor Lawrence in that, but you saw what happened with him. That's a whole other story. Even if they drafted Willis, he's not going to be ready to play right away. Even if they start him, that's not going to help this particular coaching staff. I think they're really in a difficult, precarious spot here. Almost no win because the only other option would be perhaps, you know, trade for Baker but, you know, you're down some picks, so you don't have a lot of capital here to deal to the Browns, even though, you know, it probably wouldn't take much at this point. The Browns are probably just trying to get rid of that contract. But now you got two kids on their fifth-year option going against each other, and you're paying like $40 million a quarterback, and only one of them can play. So I don't want to say they're screwed, but it's pretty damn close. All right, if they trade for Baker... They deserve to get fired, everybody. And the owner, <laughs> the owner should sell the team Lou, if they go after Baker because they've got problems with Sam Darnold as well. I'm going to go with the Indianapolis Colts because... Oh, yeah, for sure, yeah. Once again, problem. Ballard, you know, realized that, hey, I'm not going to draft any quarterback. I don't have a first-round pick. Ballard, once again, is crapping in his pants, Low, He's not willing to draft a young quarterback. So he goes after the next best thing. Matt Ryan is certainly an upgrade over Carson Wentz. And they don't have a first-round pick. They have a second-round pick. They have two third-round picks. The Colts need a wide receiver opposite of Pittman. They also need to upgrade that offensive line because it wasn't as great last year as it was two years ago. I just think this team is really close. And Frank Reich and Ballard, they both need this because they missed the playoffs last year. They've got Jonathan Taylor, who is the best running back in football. You've got a very good defense. Now you just need to upgrade. Offensive line, get another wide receiver for Matt Ryan, and then also get help a corner. And they have some corners, but they need to get a, a third corner as well. So I'm going to say the Indianapolis Colts, and, and Ballard needs to go back to his drawing board. Yeah, for sure, because, you know, Coach Reich vouches and pushed Sounds like for Carson Wentz. Ballard signs off on it. It was obvious that near the end of the season that they figured that this was a mistake. Maybe now again, he he is what he is on the field, but I think off the field is, is where there's, there's a disconnect. I don't know what it is. I don't know if anybody knows what it is, but when the owner comes out and is saying, without really mentioning Carson Wentz, what he was so displeased with in terms of the locker room and everything else... I'm pretty sure that's putting the coaches on notice. Okay, I'll spend money and we'll make this move for a quarterback, but now this is it. This is it. You make the playoffs at very least. I would think that he'd want to see them win a playoff game at least for them to continue because, again, they went out on a limb for this guy. It didn't work out. And it failed miserably at the end of the season when they were in line to make the playoffs and maybe win a couple of games. Um, they were in a game with Phillip Rivers. I mean, they had Buffalo. It was it was a close game the year before. So I think you're right about Matt Ryan. That's going to be a big help. But absolutely, offensive line, wide receiver, corner, again, rinse, repeat. But these are the needs of most teams. Yeah, they are certainly on notice. The third one I had was Dallas. They're not getting rid of the general manager or general managers because they own the team. There's no hot seat as far as those guys are concerned, but but certainly the coach is on the hot seat. 
they lost a bunch of players on offense. I mean, the offensive line has kind of lived on their reputation uh, over the last few years, but you know, Tyron Smith is injured a lot. I think really Zach Martin's the only one that they can really say that they're in good position on. So that's a huge need. No Amari Cooper. Who do they have at wide receiver? They've got CD. They've got Gallup coming off a knee. And I think that's it. I can't name another one. So they're in a weird position. They're sitting there at 24. They have their own picks, I believe, for the first four rounds. So 24, 56, 88, 129. I don't know if they're going to be moving a lot because they've got a few needs. It's going to be hard for them to package other picks. Like some of these other teams in the uh, high teens to the bottom of the round looking for wide receivers. So it's going to be interesting to see the jockeying for position to try to get you know those top guys. Or do they all sit there and wait for it to come to them? I'm here for it. I think it's the, the wide receivers are going to be the, the story of the first round, at least the second half. I'm going to go with the New York Jets. I just I feel like they need to take a step forward this year. And the fact that they have four picks in the top 38, uh, you know, they've got a first round pick, which is the fourth, then the 10th, and then in the second round, they've got the 35th and the 38th. Joe Douglas has got to do something with that. He's got to get some depth. I'm not about moving up here and trying to get, you know, premium player. I think the New York Jets need help at wide receiver, even though they've got, you know, Corey Davis, Barrios, Elijah Moore. But I think they also need a guy. Corey Davis was a disappointment in free agency, by the way. I think they need the guy for Zach Wilson. They also need help on the offensive line. And I don't think there's a position where they don't need help on the defensive side. They need help at corner, opposite of Bryce Hall. They need a pass rusher. I think they need everything. They need linebackers as well. So this is a crucial year for Joe Douglas. It isn't necessarily for the coaching staff. They're only in their second year. But they need to keep building that team around Zach Wilson. And they need to get better on the defensive side of the ball. Because you see the Bills getting better. You know, the Patriots have Matt Jones now. That division is not getting easier by any means. And the Jets need to catch up. And they're just in prime position to use those four picks, early four picks in the first, you know, two firsts and two seconds, where they can just upgrade the team, upgrade their talent, and take a step forward. It, it's not a team that's not that's going to make the playoffs next year, but it's a team that can do the right things through the draft in order to take that next step forward in the next couple of years. Yeah, I mean, I can certainly see, you know, Sauce at four, maybe a Jermaine Johnson at 10. So they kind of, you know, hit the defense first. Do you think one of those, any of these other receivers can be that guy for Wilson? Or is it more just adding more depth? I think it's just getting a guy like maybe London, Drake London would be a good pick. I'm against taking wide receivers in the first round. You know me. I always have been. I feel like, you know, you're making the case that now teams are going to be pushing but those don't guys. You, don't you think London, London goes in the top 20? I mean, yeah, he may I think even he's go. going to go there. Yeah, I think he's yeah, going to go so there. So would you take him at 10 instead of the, the edge rusher, instead of Jermaine Johnson if he's there? 
No, I think the Jets need to address the defense, and then they can get a wide receiver on day two. That's just where I stand. But they need a bigger body. Hello? They've got Elijah Moore, who is a smaller guy. He's kind of a, a slot receiver. Then they re-signed Braxton Berrios. He's also a slot receiver. Corey Davis is a huge disappointment as a number one. He's more of a number two. I think they need a bigger body for Zach Wilson to, to catch those fades, to help them out in the red zone. I think that's what they need. And they also need to upgrade the offensive line in order to... So Zach Wilson isn't running around there like crazy. So I think this is a huge step for Joe Douglas as well. I mean, that was that was one more team that I wanted to include here. And, you know, again, the big receiver, you talked about George Pickens. I mean, he might be available there at the top of the second, bottom of the first, perhaps, if they wanted, if they wanted to jump back in, move up a few spots, uh, unless somebody comes in for a quarterback at the end of the first round. But I, I think, again, I don't know if it happens this year, but I think moving forward... We're going to start seeing this more and more as where wide receivers are getting pushed because again because of the fifth year, but the money and you know I think I asked you this last uh, one of the last shows can you have a top of the market quarterback and top of the market receiver on the same team and have enough to be a championship contender because they're eating up you know forty percent or whatever the the salary cap. I just saw it today. Derek Carr got extended three years for 121 million. I don't know how much of it is guaranteed, but now you get Devontae Adams. You know, so I mean, are the Raiders going to be able to? If some of these younger guys start panning out, you know, are they going to be able to pay him? Derek Carr is is a nice quarterback, but it's crazy now that Derek Carr is a 40 million dollar quarterback per year. I mean, a couple of years back, you wouldn't think that. It's just the the economics are just going again. I don't way know all bonkers. the yeah. I don't know all the details. It could be you know it could be like funny money the second and third year. Maybe it was just an extension to be able to move money around and and, and you know open up some cap space. I don't know you know until we see that. But just like you said, I mean on the in the forefront, it just looks like oh now all of a sudden Derek Carr is a forty million dollar quarterback. What the hell is Justin Herbert going to get? What's Joe Burrow going to get? What's Lamar Jackson going to get? It's really intriguing. And then this the whole thing with guaranteed money. And I didn't know this. I guess if the contract is fully guaranteed, then there is no signing bonus per se. And then also that if it is fully guaranteed, the owners have to put that money in escrow, the full amount, so that it just kind of sits there. And I don't know, you know, again, owners, they're going to feel comfortable with a lot of these guarantees. So it, it's it's going to be nuts and money's going to, going to run everything. And as long as the salary cap keeps going up, I mean, yeah, players, they should ask for whatever they can. I mean, obviously they've got a small window to make a ton of cash. So whatever. All right, gang, that is going to do it for my friend Alex on the other end. I'm Lou. Please subscribe. It's always fun to subscribe. Subscribe, hit that button, get alerts whenever we do shows. And uh, during draft season, there's some bonus shows here and there, so you don't want to miss those. So again, for Alex, I'm Lou. Until next time, peace.